Hello and welcome to episode 255 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson. We're missing Jacob for a second episode in a row, and we'll hopefully have him back next time we record. But we've got lots to talk about today. We've got World Baseball Classic stuff to banter about. We've got a spring training update to talk about. But before we get to any of that, Bryson, how are you? We're doing good, Mark. Um, it was pretty cool yesterday that I actually didn't even realize, and we posted it. It was our sixth anniversary yep. yesterday, so that was pretty exciting that he's there. Unfortunately, Jacob's not here to celebrate with us for a second straight episode, but that's okay. We'll find a way to get through that, and then we got lots of t- stuff to talk about here. It's been a couple days, but I'm glad to be back on um, a couple days later. Yeah, six years. March 17th, 2017 was our first episode, and we took some breaks in between there. We started regularly back up at the start of 2020, and we all know how that went. But we're still here a couple years later recording um, pretty much every week. Um, okay, before we get to any of the World Baseball Classic or spring training, we want to start by talking about something that John Heyman kind of snuck into an article a couple days ago. He was writing about some of the you know, bits and pieces of news across baseball and spring training, and he wrote, quote, the Jays made a contract suggestion for Alec Manoa this winter. Word is they were not close. So that's interesting to hear, especially after everything that we went through with Bo Bichette and extension talks, and obviously we've heard a lot about Flatty, and we've been talking about how the Blue Jays should extend Alec Manoa and what that might look like. But this is kind of the first word we got of the Blue Jays at least talking to him, seeing what those conversations are like, and seeing what they might be able to get done with him before he hits free agency. And obviously, he's got a while before he hits free agency. He's got five more full seasons, including this one, before he is a free agent at the end of his tenure with the Blue Jays. So this issue is a long way off, and the Blue Jays are going to have a lot of opportunities to broach this conversation and see where the middle ground is. So nothing to be concerned about, obviously, but I think it's interesting that they were, quote, not close to hear that is, um, I, I mean, it's not concerning. It's just, you know, it gives you a picture into how the Blue Jays are valuing him, what the priority of an extension is right now. And I think it tells us that at least they're having those conversations and hopefully those conversations will continue into next offseason and the offseason after that, and they can get something done before he becomes a free agent. So interesting to hear that that talk is starting up now, especially when you compare it with Vladdy and Bo, who have been Blue Jays for quite a few years now, and they haven't got an extension yet. So I wonder if the Blue Jays are prioritizing a Manoa extension or kind of learning from the mistake, if you want to call it that, of not extending Vladdy or Bo earlier. And now they're trying to rectify that with Alec Minot and get him earlier in the process, in the arbitration process, before he even hits arbitration. I don't know. Those are a lot of my questions. When I read news like that, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because we never heard about that, obviously, until that John Heyman piece came out. The only thing that we heard about that was close, uh, or I guess the closest thing that we we heard about with that ex- or with Alec Manoa's contract was when his salary for a second straight offseason was renewed, um, pretty much just prior to spring training. And once again, that was the second straight offseason they did that because last year was uh, Bo Bichette's also. It was his final year of pre-arb, and then that's exactly what happened as well, where he uh, renewed his contract and they couldn't come to an agreement. And Alec Manoa basically came out afterward and basically had nothing, like, no bad feelings towards the Jays and basically said it was nothing personal. It was just kind of him showing his displeasure about 
how the system works in all of baseball in terms of calculated salaries before you hit arbitration, of course. And then um, he, I guess just him and Bichette, and Bichette last year as well, uh, disagreed with that. So that's the one thing where, I mean, the only thing that we've heard about with that. And I don't, like, I don't know how much... The, the, the questions I have with the John Heyman piece is like how significant talks were, if there was much talk at all. It's just, there's a lot of question marks there because I feel like we would have had some sort of update beforehand that this was something that the Jays were pursuing because once again this is the first that we're hearing about this right now so I wonder how I'm not saying it's a the report's false or anything I'm just wondering how I guess significant this was in terms of conversation or if this was something that you know they they briefly spoke about and then they kind of they're just continuing to kick the uh, the can down the road and something that they're going to address later so you know I mentioned the Boba Shack comparison because the same thing happened with them last year and of course this year, prior to uh, spring training, just before pitchers and catchers report, Bo Bichette was supposed to go to arbitration because, once again, he couldn't come to an agreement with the Jays. So you're, we've seen, I guess, how that would turn out if the same thing happened with Alec Mano. We know how all this turns out. Of course, he's under team control for quite a long time, but it's just... I guess it goes back to what you were, at, you were saying, Mark, just before I started speaking about, is this something that the Jays are trying to avoid now, trying to rectify maybe a couple things from the Bichette... Uh, situation because it's so similar based off their timelines that um, they just didn't want to go down that road again. So that I guess I guess those are all the questions that come to my mind about it. And of, and of course, I believe starting next year or within the next couple of years, Alec Manoa will be arbitration eligible. So it's going to be uh, a topic of conversation that becomes even more heavy. And it's just one out of many of the key pieces on this team who haven't been extended. When you look about or you look at it like this, the only one that the Jays have extended, I guess, beyond arbitration and well beyond free agency was Jose Barrios. Because, of course, the closest that we have right now is Bo Bichette, but he's only signed through the rest of his arbitration years, which means he will be an unrestricted free agent at the moment when his current contract ends. We know how Vladimir Guerrero Jr. they've been going year by year with. So really, the only guy that they've extended is Jose Barrios. And it's just, it goes back to another kind of conversation that we had earlier in the offseason when it was us three talking about it and how basically recognizing how this front office works and maybe if this was something that they should turn towards in terms of getting these young pieces and these young players locked up way before uh, free agency starts for them. Because of course, if all goes well, and we know how Alec Manoa has pitched his first couple of years, perhaps you're saving money uh, early on because of course he's going to be tied into a contract and his value is going to be increasing every year. But if you sign him before all that happens, you're going to get him at a pretty good deal. And of course, the team of comparison that Mark, you used a lot uh, when we had that conversation early on in the winter was the Atlanta Braves. So we've seen how that works in terms of that strategy. And then we've just seen how the Jays operate with that stuff. So it is interesting to see that they were, I guess, you know, I don't want to say completely entertaining it, but they were definitely discussing it. And it's something that was definitely in their minds at some point uh, throughout the offseason. So if it's something that's going to continue to increase the following winner is something that I think I'm going to look out for because of course once again they've never really done this before and Jose Brios is that only guy that has been signed way be or well prior to free agency has begun so that's the one thing I look at about that so it's all you know question marks in terms of how much there was conversation about it but of course at the end of the day we know that Alec Mano is locked up long term with this team and we know it's kind of a situation for further down the road but of course it's always um, intriguing to see this now in terms of how it's kind of beginning uh, of, of, in terms of uh, his contract situation because the only thing that we know of of course again is that his uh, salary for a second straight year was renewed yeah it's basically all questions and speculations from this report because we have so little to go off of that it's impossible to tell really 
even what John Heyman is talking about, like, I don't know if we're talking about like the Blue Jays buying out arbitration years and getting a couple years of free agency. We don't know if he's talking about like a 13, 15 year deal like that, like we've seen with some guys, or if he's talking about literally just buying out the next five years, including arbitration. Like this could be small scale. This could be big scale. We have no context for what John Heyman is saying. And because of that, it's really hard to take lessons away from this to learn about what this means because it really is so vague. But yeah, I mean, I'm always in the camp that the Blue Jays should sign these guys early. I think the trade-off that you make is the longer you wait to sign these guys long-term, the higher the cost is going to be, but also the higher the certainty over their performance is. So it's a cost versus certainty equation. And I think you should always lean towards the certainty side of it in that if you pay these guys early, it's less certain you get the performance, but you're going to be paying a lot less money. And we've kind of seen that with guys like Fernando Tatis Jr., although they gave him a lot of money. And the same thing goes for Julio Rodriguez. They gave him a lot of money. But I think, um, you know, in that equation, in that seesaw, I lean towards getting them early. And we've seen how that equation can work with the Atlanta Braves. And so I'm always in the camp of signing these guys early. I think the Blue Jays should pursue it. Will they? No, they haven't shown a tendency to do that over the past few years, but I think they should, um, even if it is a little bit fantastical at this point because the Blue Jays don't seem to be in that camp of signing guys early. Um, okay, so that's the Alec Manoa rumor that we heard. Let's shift gears to the World Baseball Classic, and let's start with kind of the baseball-wide story that everyone has been talking about recently. Um, Edwin Diaz of Puerto Rico suffered a tear of his patellar tendon in his right knee in a game on Thursday, or uh, excuse me, on Wednesday night. He was celebrating on the mound. He tore it on Thursday. The Mets announced the injury. Um, this kind of led to a very large backlash among a lot of fans, a lot of pundits. There was a guy from Barstool who was saying that the World Baseball Classic doesn't matter. They shouldn't be playing. Keith Olbermann also put out something similar, and that's drawn a lot of blowback. There's been a lot of people on social media making fun of those takes over the last two days, and part of that is because of the ratings that we've been getting out of the WBC. Over the last few days, we learned that 48% of Japanese households watched the Japan-Italy quarterfinal game. Um, that was an all-time record for any World Baseball Classic, and it was the fifth consecutive game where over 40% of the country watched Japan play. And then we also got a stat from Puerto Rico that 61% of TVs were tuned to the World Baseball Classic during the game between the DR and Puerto Rico. And so all these stats, including attendance numbers, attendance is up 98% from the previous record in the first round, and the U.S.-Mexico game was the most attended first round game ever in the WBC. All these stats are existing at the same time that a lot of people are saying the WBC is meaningless. And I'm curious, Bryson, what you make of all of this, because we've had our own injury scare in the Blue Jays with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. choosing not to go to the WBC, at least for the time being, because of an injury. We've seen what can happen at the WBC now, a potentially season-ending injury. And I'm curious what you make of the trade-off between sending guys to the WBC, risking giant injuries like this, to growing the game, getting those eyes on baseball and its biggest stars, and really making the game grow at the highest level. So I'm curious 
where you stand on this give and take. Well, first of all, I can only imagine um, how excited the front office was when the Puerto Ricans beat the Dominican Republic, just avoiding that whole conversation, of course, uh, with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Because that, honestly, I I know we spoke about it in our last episode. I don't really think we knew how that was going to really pan out. And, of course, now we're not, we don't have to worry about it. But, okay, let, let me just make this clear. Because I was, of course, out of us three, I was the most resistant on sending players to the WBC. However... I do think the blowback that the tournament's been getting is very it's it's a little too much and it's way too harsh because like I it's just when it comes to the WBC like you were talking about it's very it's it's solid for the game you've been talking about the numbers that have been backing it up I think it's spectacular that the numbers have been growing like that and the game's been pretty much you know you talk about the Japan numbers and it's honestly something that I think the sport needs in a way and for me it's just I guess that was against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. going from the start was the fan in me where I just didn't want to see it I, as a Blue Jays fan. And of course, not all fans are like that. Some fans, including you, Mark, were fine with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was going, which is completely fine. And then for me, I guess, you know, my opinion was probably more in terms of what management was thinking, because I'm sure no management also wants their players going whatsoever. But when you think about it, too, and if you put yourself in the shoes of a player, I think if you were a player, it makes complete sense to go, um, if that's something that you believe in. Of course, we've seen some guys that have come out and say, it's just the timing of it. It's not for me in terms of, you know, jumping into games right away. And I think a prime example was that was uh, it was Max Scherzer who came out and said that. So, you know, there's been lots of ideas um, to, I guess, make the WBC a better product. Of course, there's been talk about changing it in terms of when it's, when it's played throughout the year. I don't know how that would work, but that's just kind of the discussions that are floating around about it. So I do I do think that the headlines that have been coming out about the WBC are a little too harsh because, of course, here's the truth. And the truth is both spring training and both the WBC, there's definitely a risk factor of injuries. It's not like the WBC is the only place where injuries have happened. However, in my opinion, I do think the risk is a little greater in the WBC, and I don't think that's um, I guess something that's insanely to say. I do think that players have also acknowledged that. However, the payoff from it, the experience from it, that seems to be what is driving um, the players' interest in going. Of course, I'm sure you saw the Mike Trout and Mookie Betts uh, interview, and they basically said the same thing. As much as both spring training or the WBC is a risk factor, of course, the WBC might be a little bit more because of the intensity that you're jumping into right away. And then, of course, the hitters are probably playing a little bit more than they would in spring training. So that's the one thing I I think we got to make clear because, of course, there's been a ton of phantom injuries for, I mean, in, in particular for the Blue Jays throughout, free, uh, throughout spring training. You know, I think this was something that you even spoke about a couple weeks ago, Mark. It was, you know, Michael Saunders with the sprinkler, Robbie Ray falling down the stairs. There's been too much. I think Kevin Pillar strained his oblique one year because he sneezed. Um, that was way, I think it was in 2015 or 2016. So, those are just one out of many examples that have happened throughout spring training uh, beyond or I guess with the Blue Jays. But of course, this is something that is beyond them in terms of phantom injuries that have happened like that. You know, I just the blowback that they have gotten, it just to me, it seems a bit unfair. And I'm glad that there there are players that are starting to stick up for it. But of course, you never want to be in that situation where what happened with Edwin Diaz, and I can only imagine what a New York Mets fan was thinking when that happened, and I actually got to see it live. I saw the ending of the game. It was very entertaining, of course. It was back and forth, and then it basically went down to the the ninth inning, and then Edwin Diaz came out with the trumpets. You know, it it was a pretty cool atmosphere, too. It was really, again, it's been really electric in Miami, which is definitely something I I still got to get used to seeing, but, you know, they didn't really show it 
happen live. Pretty much what they did was they were showing them jump up and down, and then the camera was cutting uh, to a few different places. And then next thing you know, it the camera went back onto Edwin Diaz, and he's basically surrounded in a circle holding his knee. And my first thing that I that I said to myself right away is that he just blew out his knee, and um, it wasn't good where he couldn't walk off, and he basically had to go on a wheelchair. So it's it's part of the risk that comes with it. It is definitely a phantom injury. It's something that is def is incredibly rare, of course. And there's lots of good turnouts from the WBC. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about a little bit later on. I, I guess a prime example of somebody who benefited from the WBC a lot was Otto Lopez, who's of course fighting for one of the roster spots. Jose Barrios, we thought it was going to you know go well for him. He only really ended up pitching only in one start. And of course, Team Puerto Rico got eliminated um, last night, which would which would have been Friday night to Team Mexico. So it's just. There's definitely a payoff for it in terms of a good player experience. There's the risk that comes with it, sure, but to crap on the tournament and say it shouldn't be played and all of that, I do think that's way too harsh. And I'm I'm actually kind of glad the blowback that whoever it was that pretty much made that headline, I'm glad that they are getting the backlash because to me it was pretty much an outrageous take. Yeah. I mean, as you can probably predict, I'm with you because I wanted Vladdy to go to the WBC before he backed out. Um, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity to grow the game. I think it's a great opportunity for baseball to reach new fans and really demonstrate its international prowess. Because I think a lot of times, especially in North America, we can get locked into this idea that this is baseball at the highest level, but there is high level baseball elsewhere in the world in Japan and in the Caribbean and, you know, everywhere. And so I think, Having a tournament like this to demonstrate like, yeah, you know, we can have these fervent fans in Japan and these crazy fans in the Dominican and Puerto Rico. It really helps grow the game and grow our idea of the game and grow how international the game is. So I'm all for it. And you look at those numbers. I mean, they're better ratings than the World Series gets. And this is a pool game for, you know, Japan, for Puerto Rico. Like this is big, big numbers for the game. And it's really important that we focus on growing the game. And, you know, we've been talking about these rules, the pitch clock, the shift ban, the bigger bases, and that's all focused on growing the game. And the WBC is a big way to do that. So I think the question I have for you, Bryson, is you mentioned this a little bit, but like, should we change the timing of the WBC? The the WBC? Because I think that's something that enters my mind when I hear about these injuries and when I hear about a lot of teams being hesitant to send players and how people are criticizing how players should be prioritizing spring training and getting ready or ready for the regular season. Like, could we have the WBC in November or December or January and then avoid this conversation entirely? Or is now the best time to have the tournament? Another tough one, but I mean, I do think moving it should, I think, is an, is an idea that I think should be entertaining or entertained because, of course, I talked about the Scherzer example, and a lot of people believe that as well, where they just they feel like they just can't jump into it right away. So if that is moving it to the end of the year, of course, if the only thing I'd say to that is if it's going to be at the end of the year, I think it should be basically right after the World Series because, of course, you don't want to cut too much into the offseason where the players obviously enjoy their time off. So I feel like as the offseason goes deeper in terms of the months, I feel like the chance of it is less likely. It's got to be something that, once again that happens right after the uh, right after the World Series, or maybe it's something that you know you take a page out of a different sports book. And you know what comes to, what comes to my mind is hockey with the World Championships, is where basically all the eliminated players who aren't 
playing for the Stanley Cup go over and play right away. I mean, those are just a couple of ideas I've heard. I also saw one idea. I don't know how you feel about this one. This one's definitely an interesting one where basically once every four years, you're in the middle you're you're in the middle of the season. People are pretty much well stretched out. They're well throughout almost half the year. Do you have an extended all-star break where you have a little bit of a break for a couple of weeks and then the WBC happens during the year? I think that's another you know example that we talked about. You, you look at sports around the world and a sport that comes to my mind is soccer where they have like mid-season tournaments. And it's something that apparently the NBA is also kind of looking into where you have mid-season tournaments, but of course you keep the regular season as it is too. I think that's also another idea that would be interesting for me it doesn't seem as likely as possibly just having it right at the end of the year. I think if you have it right at the end of the year, of course, people are still going to be, you know, well into game shape and all that. It's just, you wonder how banged up people will be, but of course the tournament's optional anyway. So, you know, I, I do think probably the reception the tournament would get would be a lot more positive if the timing of it moved. But of course, when you look at it again, it never really has you know, been other than when it's been now, which would be during spring training, uh, during the middle of spring training, basically two two weeks of it. And then you go off and you pretty much go back to camp for the last week and then you're ready for the regular season. So that's something that we've been used to basically for a while now. So I don't know how likely it is it would change, but it's definitely a lot of, for some reason for me this year, maybe or maybe it's just something that I don't remember too well from 2017. It just feels like this year in particular, because it's been a while, the topic of all this whole WBC controversy has been really, you know, received an upstake or pretty much it's been a lot more than um, we've seen in previous years. But of course, I could just have a, bl- a bad memory from 2017. And it's been something that's kind of always been talked about. I think in a way it has been. But once again, it just feels like it's been talked about a lot more than it usually is. So that's just the one thing I, you know, I question a little bit. But I mean, moving it is definitely something that I think they should consider. I'm not saying it should for sure happen. I don't know, once again, if it's in the middle of the year like that, where you kind of take a two-month, or not two-month, two-week break, or if you have it right at the end of the year, maybe that attracts more people because they're going to be well more in a game shake. People like Max Scherzer are going to be well stretched out. And there's there's tons of other examples of players that probably think that way too. Because when you look at the Jays, I mean, there could have been tons of other people that went to this tournament, of course, for Team USA, and of course, even for the Dominican Republic, for Puerto Rico. But it just you didn't really see a whole lot of it. Other than, of course, Jose Brios going, Vladi, who was supposed to go, Jimmy Garcia went. He had a really good outing when he when he pitched. Uh, he had a scoreless outing, and then he pitched in the game against Puerto Rico. But basically, um, Julio Rodriguez botched a uh, a single, and then it turned into a, an inside-the-park home run. And then we know how Otto Lopez did. We know Spencer Horowitz went for Team Israel. So we didn't see a whole lot of it from the Jays. But, you know, it's just something, once again, if you move it, do you have the increase of people going and perhaps – it makes the game even better because you're sending more uh, MLB players to the tournament. Maybe it improves the product of the game. Mark, you've talked about all the records that it's been shattering. Perhaps it's also even better for the entire tournament itself. Those are just one of the many questions that I have with it, but it, it's definitely been a very heavy topic this year in terms of should they move it? And if so, when would they do it? Yeah, I think no matter what time you move it to, there's always going to be drawbacks. Like if we're talking about the end of the season as kind of the perfect window for it, there's, I feel like, going to be a lot of players who were banged up throughout the season that decide, you know, it's not worth it. I'm just going to stay home and get healthy. And there's going to be a lot of teams that want to push players to do that as well. And then you still walk into the scenario where someone gets injured from whether it's overuse or just a freak injury like we saw with Edwin Diaz, and then we get the exact same controversy. And I think there's also something to be said about the timing. Like, 
ratings wise or appetite wise, if that makes any sense. Like I think if it comes at the end of the season, I think there's less enthusiasm for it than if it is in spring training. Cause right now we're all gearing up for baseball. We're all ready for real baseball to watch. We haven't had real baseball to watch since the start of November. So we're all very hungry for baseball. And that's why we're all very excited to turn on the TV and watch the WBC because I mean, the only other things for me right now, at least to watch is March Madness. And that's still in the early rounds and there's some crazy upsets, but like the WBC is on the TV. I want to watch baseball. It's baseball that matters. It's important. It's exciting. I'm going to watch it. If this is happening in November, you know, a week after the world series ends, I think we're having a different conversation because we've just been watching baseball for six, seven months, if you include spring training. And I think there's a type of fatigue that sets in that there'll be less excitement about what's going on. So I think you can find drawbacks wherever you put it into the schedule. And if you put it in the middle of the season, then are you talking about, you know, adding an extra week at the start of the season, extra week at the end of the season to make it work to get 162 in. And then you're running into the same scenario of injuries and guys being beat up and, you know, all those sorts of things. So I think you walk into issues no matter where you put it and, you know, the drawbacks of having it in the spring or what we mentioned, you know, pitchers aren't stretched out, guys are worried about injuries, the timing is weird with guys having to leave their team, but um, you avoid some of the other issues that we've talked about. So I don't know, there's no perfect solution. Um, it seems like having it in the spring is the best solution because that's what teams and the league and the MLBPA has agreed to and to get all those three things agreeing seems like a massive massive win especially in these days of labor labor negotiations so if it's working don't mess with it is my opinion there's going to be issues no matter where you schedule it and yeah maybe you can nitpick here and there of pros and cons but if it's working if everyone's on the same page and happy to have it scheduled for a couple weeks in march let's keep it going yeah i mean I agree with you on that. It just it just seems to be something where everyone just you're gonna find an issue no matter what you discuss of it. Again, you talked about the crazy headlines that have been shared with it. So, but when it's all said and done, and it goes back to the results that you've been talking about, it is good for the game no matter where it is. Of course, globally, it's even better for the game, and it's something that baseball needs. It's been eight. It's been obviously it didn't happen on schedule because of uh, the pandemic. So it's kind of a long. It was this year. It was especially it was a long awaited tournament. It was a long wait. Uh, in terms of the excitement and the, in terms of it finally happening. So that's why I do agree with you that there's going to be issues no matter where, where you find it uh, that are, people are going to criticize. But you can't ignore the fact of how much, despite the Edwin Diaz injury, it's been a success uh, in terms of the growth, in terms of the product of the game, of course. There's been exciting uh, games that have been going on, and there's been some upsets, of course. Um, so that's why I do I agree with you on that part. But you can't take away from the fact, no matter what you might feel about it, in terms of if you want your favorite players there or not, or if you're a GM or whatever, it is, it, it's been a success for the game this year for sure. All right, so we've mentioned Otto Lopez a couple times. I just want to kind of read out his stats because he's had a really good or had a very good WBC before Kenda was eliminated. Obviously, he left Blue Jays spring training to go play in the WBC. He had 17 at-bats, went 5 for 17, uh, scored four times himself hit a triple, a home run, drove in six runs, three of which were on a home run that he hit. He walked once, struck out once. Uh, really great performance from him. I don't think there's much to touch on with him. We saw there was a little bit of an injury update on Otto Lopez. He developed left groin 
soreness while at the the WBC, not undergoing an MRI. The Blue Jays just giving him a couple days off. But um, yeah, that's the type of thing that the, the WBC can develop, can create. You can create these kind of folk legends. Like, I don't know, we saw it a lot in the, the Czech Republic team. They had a lot of these guys who were like, my day job is a firefighter, but I'm here and I'm you know <laughs> up against Japan. And so we have these awesome moments that we see in the WBC. And that's part of what makes it magical and auto Lopez, not quite the same extent, but it was cool to see him performing at a high level and succeeding against some of these really tough competition. Um, okay. The last thing to ask about the WBC before we move on, do you have a prediction for who's going to win? To be honest, I, I feel like I haven't been following it closely enough to get a good read on how these teams are doing, but I'm going to let you guess first, give your prediction first, and then I'll come up with mine. Well, um, I've actually been following up more than I originally thought of as well. So I guess that's one of the positive as well that the tournament's done for me. So I've watched more than I actually expected. I've seen a lot of the games. Of course, there was a couple upsets. I mean, I don't I don't know how much of an upset. I, I guess Mexico beating Puerto Rico is considered an upset of what happened last night. And then as we record right now, um, the U.S. and Venezuela haven't played yet. And of course, I believe the winner of that pool is going to be playing Cuba, from what I understand, and then Mexico is going to be playing Japan. So it's tough because some of the semis have gone or the quarterfinals have gone, but, and of course, this prediction can age very poorly as the U.S. and Venezuela play tonight. But I think, I honestly think Venezuela is a, a sneaky team that could win it all. Of course, Japan's been that juggernaut so far that has pretty much been destroying their pool. And then, of course, they destroyed Italy uh, a couple of days ago. I think everyone <laughs> expected that. But it's definitely surprising that Italy, Italy did have a run like that, of course. But the U.S. and Venezuela, I mean, even the winner of one of those um, or one, that game tonight, I think, is going to go on and win. And then, of course, the winner of that's going to play Cuba. Mexico is going to play Japan. But I do think that based on what we've seen so far, uh, I, guess I'll, uh, I guess I'll lean towards Venezuela beating the U.S. And then I think that they have a legitimate chance to win this whole thing. I just think that they... You know, it just felt like from the WBC talk that I did hear about this year, which was not a lot, let me just make that clear, but it was some, where there wasn't a lot of people talking about Venezuela. They were kind of seemed to be like a, not an underdog, but they were very much a dark horse for the tournament. And then there's been a lot of hype around the States, Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic. Of course, both of those teams disappointed. So I'll, I'll, I'll stick to what's been going on in terms of the team that's been a dark horse and who's been advancing. And I'll save Venezuela, and hopefully that prediction does not age poorly uh, later tonight. I'm going to go with Japan. I feel like that's a very easy pick. I mean, you look at their pool play. They outscored their opponents by, seems like, 7, 8, 9, 10 runs every time, sometimes mercying them. Like, I feel like that's a really easy pick. So I'm going to go with them. They got Shohei, although he's leaving the team in, I think, after... I don't know if it. I guess it's the semifinals. He's leaving the team afterwards. He won't be there for the championship unless he's already left the team. I'm not sure on the details, but I know the Angels want to have him back in camp so that his schedule lines up to start opening day. So that's a little bit of a caveat there. Maybe that hurts him a little bit, but I still think they're playing really well in the WBC. I think they're going to win it. So that's my pick for who's going to take it. Um, okay, so let's talk about spring training. We don't have too many updates. Uh, we have a little bit of Ricky Tiedemann. Injury updates, his scheduled side session got pushed back to today, I believe. Um, and it was originally scheduled for Wednesday, so a couple days extra rest for him. Again, same thing that we said last time, we're not really that concerned. There's a lot of things that go into these decisions, and when you're dealing with you know 
it's what a shoulder tightness. It's, it's not that big of a deal, especially this early in spring training, especially when he's not going to be playing for the major league roster. Is it a little bit concerning that there's been pushed back a little bit? Yeah. Like you never want to see that you want it to go as scheduled to get back into the swing of things, but he's also been throwing off of flat ground over the past few days, I believe. So I don't know. I still have the same thoughts about him <laughs> as I did last time. I don't know if your mind has changed at all. I'm guessing it hasn't. Yeah, I'm, I don't think so either. I, I'm pretty much with you on that in terms of it just doesn't seem like a big deal. And I think even Pete Walker, when he went out, he had an interview with Blair and Barker yesterday, and he basically said the same thing. They're just being extra precaution, and there just doesn't seem to be a lot of um, concern. It was something that apparently was very minor, and he shared a lot of detail about that. I mean, he quickly, too, he went into the Barrio, started basically how – the approach, like the game plan that Puerto Rico had, was no nowhere close to what the Jays would have. So I think that was definitely something that we definitely briefly touched on as well the last episode when we talked about that. So I'm kind of a takeaway from that is I wasn't too concerned after he kind of reassured that if he's pitching for the Jays that game, that's not what they would have, I guess, game plan for him. But other than that, I mean, in spring training, you there there hasn't really been too much since we last talked. I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of course is back now. He looks good. And uh, I think his first game back, he went one for three with an RBI double. Yeah, that was on the Tuesday game against the Pirates. Kevin Gosman looked really good. I guess another highlight that I have where we spoke about it a little bit early and we haven't really spoken about it since, but I'll say that I think Trevor Richards out of the bullpen has been doing a lot better. He's kind of turned his spring around. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, as much as there's only one lefty in the bullpen, perhaps he's that guy because of his changeup. That's going to be very, I guess, dependent against lefty hitters, and he seems to have turned his spring around, which is good for him as well, because I feel like the back end of that bullpen, or in terms of the last few bullpen spots, it's not totally solidified yet, which we will eventually discuss when our prediction episode comes out, which is always one of my favorite ones of the year, and that when we do that, and then other than that, I mean, I guess it's the first time we saw some adversity with Yusei Kikuchi, who started in one of the split squad games yesterday. There were some command issues going on. There was a couple... I guess, questionable calls from the ump as well, where he seemed to disagree with some of the calls. But as the start went on, he definitely settled in. Um, He was getting some swing and miss from his usual pitches, which were the fastball and the slider. And then even across town at Clearwater, when the other uh, doubleheader was going on, or sorry, the other split squad was going on, Chris Bassett also had some adversity. He hit three batters early on. He had a balk with Alejandro Kirk because there was some miscommunication with the whole pitch comm thing. And the other thing I guess I took away from Pete Walker's interview was that they are very confident that uh, Major League Baseball is going to approve pitchers calling their own pitches. So that would be huge for a guy like Chris Bassett if that ever, or if that all is obviously approved uh, closer to opening day, because it just feels like, you know, getting to know two catchers, it, it could go, it's a little bit of a risk early on in the season. I mean, I, I saw it yesterday where there was Alejandro Kirk basically did that to him to redo it. He was already out of time on the pitch clock. He balked and you just saw Bassett wasn't even arguing the call and he was, a little annoyed you can tell but of course that is the entire thing of you know being on a new team and learning with new catchers and of course as the start went on though he ended up going five innings at the end of the day no matter if he was giving up some hits early on or if he was hitting you know three guys on the Phillies he definitely settled in as the start went later on I think his sinker and changeup were the two effective or the most effective pitches that I saw that he looked really good on of course he's got seven or eight different pitches so you kind of have to specify with Chris Bassett what he's um what 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 is working really good for him. So other than that, I feel like everything else has been status quo. It's good that Vladdy's back. Bo Bichette's still hitting the ball well. George Springer's hitting the ball well. And uh, it just feels like we're way past the halfway mark of spring training now. Just get by the next two weeks. Everything's going to be okay. Of course, Jose Brios is going to be back in camp 
probably by early next week at the latest. He's probably going to get a couple more uh, starts before that St. Louis series for opening day. And then from there, I think we can just tread water, be healthy going into that. And then from there, we at the end of the spring, we can have a prediction episode and we can basically discuss all the other holes in the roster where we feel like aren't totally, I guess, um, filled right now. There definitely seems to be some open spots, including the 26th man. Is that going to be Otto Lopez? Uh, The bullpen spots, of course, the rotation order. There's going to be lots of fun conversations as the spring comes to a close and if everything goes well with health with all these players. Yeah, we're reaching the end game. We got 12 days until... Opening day on March 30th against St. Louis. Um, yeah, a lot of the same takeaways for me. I think the Yusei Kikuchi one is interesting because he was having a great spring. And then obviously you expect to see these blips. And it's not really concerning. The walks, I think, is probably the most concerning thing for me. But like you said, like getting squeezed by the Empire, it's also with one spring outing. So um, we'll keep track of it, obviously. But um, not a huge concern. I do like to see that we're getting to the point where these guys are starting to throw like reasonable regular season level type pitches. Like Yusei Kikuchi threw around 75 pitches. He threw 76 last time out. And then we also saw Chris Bassett throw, I think it was like five innings or 5.1 innings. So we're finally getting to this point where these guys are like reaching the length of what could be a regular season start. And that's always very exciting because then it's like, okay, we're not playing fake baseball anymore. We're getting into the point we're going to be playing real baseball now because these guys are finally stretched out after a couple weeks. So that was exciting to see. I enjoyed watching that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think we're like this spring training has been very calm for the Blue Jays outside of Vladdy and outside of Tiedemann. There hasn't been too much to talk about. And usually that's a good thing. Um, you know, sometimes you can be happy about some of the guys who come out and surprise, but I think it is a good thing. That we've had a very predictable, a very calm, a very chill spring training for the Blue Jays. And hopefully things continue that way into the regular season. Um, I guess we still don't have a clear picture of who that fourth outfielder is, though, eh? We don't. And that's why I think when you mentioned Otto Lopez, it was very significant. Because he went to the WBC on a good note. He was playing well before it. He played well during I'm sure he's going to get back into games right away. He basically acknowledged when he went back to, I think he went back to camp yesterday and he basically said he's got a lot of work to do still and he's going to work hard to make sure he gets that spot. But I think he's making a lot of noise with that. And I would not be surprised if he is that 26 guy um, coming out of the spring. But of course, he's got a lot of work to do still. But he definitely, just a positive from the WBC, he carried that over and he did really well. Pretty much went as best as it could go for a guy like Otto Lopez. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I think that's everything. Um, That's kind of the last thing that we're tracking. And of course, we'll be back in a week's time to talk about pretty much the end of spring training. We'll be five days away at that point till opening day. And so we're counting down the days. It's it's 12 days. We're almost down to 10, which means we're almost there. Um, Cannot wait. It's going to be very exciting. As always, you can support our podcast by going and checking us out on social media. That's at Section138Pod, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. You can join our Discord, which is in the link in our bio on all three of those platforms. And also in the notes of this podcast, you can support us on Buy Me a Coffee, which again, you can find in all the same places. And you can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, which just helps spread the word about what we're doing here. Okay, seven days from now, we'll be five days away from opening day. We can't wait. We'll catch you then. 